Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Go Steelers! Go Steelers! Say go Steelers! Go Steelers! Welcome to the Steelers Outpost Podcast, a proud member of the Armchair All-Americans Network. It is August 18th, 2019. This is Tom from the D.C. Outpost, and Nick joins me from the Houston Outpost. We are hot on the heels of another Steeler preseason victory, Steelers 17 and the Chiefs 7. And although this is purportedly all about individual measurement, it is nice to come away with a victory and go 2-0 in the early mm-hmm. season. It is nice in the early season. It's 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 more positive feeling than negative. That's for sure. And they're a little bit more fun to watch that way, at least, right? But you were telling me earlier this one didn't uh, amuse you quite as much as the first game, and I can't uh, I can't argue with that. A little bit of a slow start there for sure, but definitely some incredibly encouraging performances from some of the young guys on the Steelers. Some guys who are really kind of breaking out with the first good game and other guys who are building off of that first week in preseason. So we'll definitely get into those as we go along here. Yeah, we'll get into the game in itself in a minute. But last night I was forced to watch this after the game because of some early evening festivities. And I watched on NFL Game Pass and it was broadcast by the local Kansas City crew. And I believe Trent Green was on that. Thank you. Not better or worse than anybody else. But mm-hmm. it, was, it was a horrible experience. I must have done something to somebody in a previous life. They weren't better or worse than any you know, civilians, I would say. Now, if you're comparing them to professional broadcasters, it was a little bit shaky. But I don't think we can really hold them to that standard because I, I don't actually think they were broadcasting from a booth. I'm pretty sure they just set up some microphones in a Denny's in Kansas City and it just some guys were watching the game on their phones. And that's the commentating we received because the blatant and hilarious homerism was – it was gag-inducing, honestly. What made it worse is that they spent the entire second quarter interviewing their 26-year-old general manager, Brett Veach. Oh, Veach, was- you're – could you imagine the Steelers having Kevin Colbert on for an entire quarter? Kevin's no, up there no, working. He's a working man. He's out there evaluating talent in case somebody goes down on the roster. Brett, why don't you go chug some beers with Patty Mahomes at another sports game and be extra likable all the time instead of getting up there at Denny's you know, it's 7.30 at night talking about this game. But, yeah, that was pretty boring. That was a little bit of a flop. Hey, I don't actually mind, you know, some homerism from local broadcasts. We're out here in the outposts in D.C. and in Houston, so we don't really have easy access to to Charlie Batch and the Steelers' local broadcast. But I think that they have a little bit more – they're a little bit more reserved when it comes to the Pittsburgh homerism, although they're definitely telling the story of the game through the Pittsburgh lens. And I think – that's fine whether you're in kansas city or washington dc or houston or pittsburgh it's cool to have you know you you watch the game with the local guys because they're on the same team as you but i think you need to temper it a little bit because the kansas city guys when deontay johnson rookie receiver for the steelers more on him later scored his second touchdown because by the way i'm counting the first one I think everybody should, and I also think everybody should be extremely worried about the pass interference issue this year in the NFL as caused by the overreaction to the Saints-Rams game. But anyways, I digress. Deontay Johnson's second touchdown of the day was another fade into the left side of the end zone. He caught the ball against his chest with both hands, and as he was going down, the ball didn't move. It was still in both his hands, but it did touch the ground. That's fine. That's legal. And he still caught it. He never juggled it, and they ruled it a touchdown. And the reason why they ruled it with touchdown was because, A, it is, and B, the Jesse James rule, um, where the ball actually moved a little bit more for Jesse. But it's it's pretty obvious touchdown on that account. And while the replay was going on, the Kansas City announcers, we'll call them, they said, just to remind everybody at home, the referees on the field are watching the Pittsburgh 
camera angle of this touchdown. So might want to keep that in mind when you see what the, the call is coming out here. Yeah, do the Kansas City readers, readers of their scripts, know that uh, that there is uh, multiple camera angles and no one team owns them? Or is it just the fact that it's in the Pittsburgh Stadium? I didn't really understand that piece. Right. I think it's the Pittsburgh video team is world-renowned. They actually edit every play into a touchdown uh, with some of the new technology. You guys have seen some of the face swap or the deep fakes or whatever there. So I think that's what they're referring to. But anyways, less trashing them and more praising the Steelmen for holding Patrick Mahomes to two of five. That's already an accomplishment because the last time we saw Patrick Mahomes in Pittsburgh, he threw a touchdown passes every four throws when he had 24 completions and six touchdowns. So I'm half joking here, but it is nice to see them not give up a 60-yard touchdown on the first play when you played against, you know, Jesus's unknown brother, a.k.a. Aaron Rodgers' brother, Patrick football titan Mahomes. One other non-football observation I want to make, and we'll get into this thing. How old's Ched Chen Henney? Did he come out in like 2008? Out of college? 1994, I believe. 94. Yeah, out of Michigan. Mm-hmm. He had a huge head. He was basically a human bobblehead when he came into the NFL. It seems like the rest of his body is caught up. I just I just found that a 50-year-old guy was sort of incongruent to see him all tatted up like some tight end bro out of Iowa. Yeah, well, those tight end bros out of Iowa know how to move. But, yeah, he's, he's having that messy mid-like midlife crisis Lionel Messi when he got all tatted up or Adam Levine you know sometimes you got to get an edge in that in those older years they start forgetting about you new bobblehead quarterbacks come out of Michigan you got to remember hey I'm still here and I can throw 50 yards semi-accurately getting into the game itself again I know that the team aspect is going to is going to fall and we're looking at individual performances but it was kind of a bumbling early game especially in the the first four drives generated uh, 30 offensive yards total. We had McDonald fumbling the ball out of bounds. We had Connor bobbling a pass. It was a, it was a nice fancy little between the legs pickup, but he did yeah. bobble a pretty easy pass. And then we had uh, just a, I'm not going to go through every play, but just bang, bang, bang. All these kind of weird plays yeah. where Artie forces a fumble and we recover it. And we immediately give the ball back when Moncrief fumbles a, a, an easy reception, a short reception. Yeah, I mean, even you just going through those paints the picture, right? It was a sloppy first quarter, especially some of the starters getting in there, knocking off some rust. Uh, Connor, you know, not being an exception. McDonald, Moncrief, all those guys. But, uh, you know, maybe some of that's due to the rain. It was an hour and a half rain delay. It was wet out there on the field. I wouldn't give them that excuse during a regular season game. But, you know, they haven't played in a regular season football game in quite some time. And honestly, the Chiefs were doing the exact same thing. So I agree. The beginning of the game, from there wasn't much to write home about. Uh, we can get more into some of those starters as we get to their position groups. I'd like to kind of just go through the position groups one by one because I thought that once again, we saw some really good things from the quarterbacks. And Mason Rudolph got the start this week with – Pretty much the starting offense in there. I don't think DeCastro or Pouncey played. Did DeCastro play? A couple of the linemen uh, didn't actually start. But overall, yeah, he had McDonald out there. He had Connor out there. Juju played a little bit. I don't, didn't really get much action. But, man, Rudolph looks good, I'm telling you. And, and just my when I think about Rudolph, I think I talked about this a little bit last week. When I think about Rudolph, I think about smoothness. I think about touch. He doesn't have a rifle arm, but he did rifle a few of them in there. A particularly beautiful throw to his buddy, James Washington, on a post route in between three guys. So when he made that throw, it showed me you maybe you don't have an arm like a Ben Roethlisberger, but your arm is good enough to rock and roll to make those throws. And other than that, just his touch, he keeps showing that in the games over this preseason. And I know that they said that it's been tight in in training camp, but when you see him out there versus Dobbs, who I also think played pretty well, Rudolph just plays the quarterback position a little bit more smoothly, and I was really impressed with his touch on the ball and more than anything, his pocket movement. Uh, Brady-esque. I mean, we're going to – you know, kind of lazy to compare a guy to uh, a colossal giant like Tom Brady. But what I mean by that is it's all about his shuffling inside the pocket. And he made some beautiful plays where he just 
he manipulates the blockers around him to to stay in front of the defenders and he did some great shuffling and resetting of his feet and making throws under duress and that's what an nfl quarterback does and he operated from inside the pocket and carved them up and i thought rudolph actually played very nicely he did especially on that fifth drive the steelers had to score a touchdown it was an 89 yard 814 play drive where he as you said he hooked up with washington a couple of times he got grimble um he was seven for eight passing. Like he's just very accurate and he was nimble in the pocket. I wouldn't count on him to take off like a la Dobbs, but I feel mm-hmm. like he does not panic. At least uh, as opposed to what we're hearing about practices, he doesn't panic in a game and he, he was chased out a few times and he managed to get rid of right. the ball. He just looks like he really knows how to play the quarterback position. And that's those guys, you know, you, you think about the physical skills. You think about the ability to make throws both long, short, intermediate. You think about can you hit a guy with a very catchable ball, like a nicer spiral. That That's actually an important thing. Can you hit them in stride? When you throw a drag, do they have to stop to catch the ball or do they catch it perfectly in stride and get extra yards, a la what Drew Brees' career has been based off of, that precision passing. You think about Ben Roethlisberger. Can they extend the play outside there and just and make big plays down the field? And then the one that people kind of forget is like you have serial killer monsters chasing after you trying to kill you. Do you have that sixth sense of how to manipulate the pocket? Can you move around and buy extra time within this like five by five space and then be able to set your feet and get your mechanics under you to make reliable throws? And he's really been doing that nonstop. And he just looks calm. Poised. He does especially – you know, it was really – uh, emblematic of that description is the time where he got chased out of the pocket to the right. He was almost to the sideline yes. and he managed, he found Eli in the end zone and man, I don't know if Eli could have just come a little more aggressively towards the ball. I mean, they made a pretty good defensive play. There were three guys around him, but Mesa put it right in a window. If Eli could have come up like another yard, that's a touchdown. That was my favorite play I've seen on the Steelers from Mason Rudolph so far. So that was one I was kind of referencing when I was talking about him manipulating the blockers. So he got the ball, he faded back to pass and the left tackle, I can't remember who was that left tackle at that time, but the left defensive end was kind of coming around and Rudolph, he toyed with them. It, it really did remind me a lot of Brady in just terms of the physicality and the terms of how they move with the shuffling of the feet. And, and they don't get out of that rather than like a Russ or a Ben who's a little bit more fluid of an athlete so they can kind of take a step here or there. He looks like um, the Madden drill that you play where they make you shuffle around the tennis balls or whatever it is. So the left end was coming around and Mason shuffled a little bit backwards to give that rush end a little peek like, hey, you're going to come get me. And he baited him. The rush end came back. And he shuffled forwards. And then the Russian had to change his angle and then shuffle back again and then bailed out of the pocket and ran all the way to the right. And he did one of those classic plays when you see those quarterbacks running out, buying time, running to the right sideline. Oftentimes a linebacker or safety or someone from the defense will start charging in. If you guys remember the hit Bud Dupree had on Matt Moore for the Dolphins in the playoffs a few years ago, we got flagged on it where he absolutely annihilated Matt Moore. He got a helmet-to-helmet penalty. But it was like one of those situations where the defender gets a running start at you. And he's almost at the sideline. Mason's almost at the sideline. That defender's running towards him full speed. And Rudolph doesn't panic at all. He does a half little pump fake and stops and just takes one step over to the side. And the defender goes flying past him. And then he throws the ball to Eli in the end zone. And I agree. Maybe if Eli came up a little bit more, he could have made the catch. But I will say on that throw, that is where I noticed the – Maybe not lack of arm strength, but the lack of an elite arm because that ball kind of hangs up there for a little while rather than when you see you know, Ben do that or Deshaun Watson or someone, the ball's going to zip into there. But it was a very accurate throw. And just overall, the poise is what really has impressed me about Mason Rudolph, and I thought he had a great game. And people seem to drop the passes a lot, and we need to talk about some of those guys later. But Mason, I thought, very solid. He goes 10 for 15 for 77 yards. And uh, sacked only once. So Josh Dobbs, kind of a redux of last week coming in right away with a 40-yard reception by everybody's favorite new receiver. Yep. Yeah. Wash. Wash. Mr. Wash. The washboard. Call him George Washington because he's all about the Benjamins, baby. Yeah. 
we'll talk about Wash a little bit later. Josh Dobbs is Josh Dobbs. It's impossible not to love the guy because, you know, you get the rocket scientist background and all this, and he's just such a great guy. And you can see this man battling. I love the competition between him and Rudolph and then this Hodges guy we're going to talk about later because I don't think he's quite an afterthought anymore. But Josh Dobbs, you can see him improving. What I love the most about him, and and Rudolph has been doing this too. You mentioned this last week. Dobbs is aggressive. He throws the ball down the field. Does he throw it accurately? Not usually, but sometimes he does. And even when he takes off and runs, he had a couple beautiful runs where I thought, like, man, listen, this is part of the reason why you were drafted. This is the, You didn't make it in the NFL just for your throwing. You made it because you're an athletic quarterback. You can throw a bit, but you got to be able to run. If he can't run, then he's not a viable NFL quarterback. And now he looks like a guy who's fast enough and strong enough to break tackles. And he had a couple beautiful runs. He had another nice long shot to, to Washington. Once again, he underthrew it. <laughs> Washington, by the way, same route, might have even been the same play from a different formation uh, as the long catch last week, where jo- uh, I want to say Josh Washington, my college roommate, right? <laughs> Freshman Josh Wash, James Washington sets the corner up by running basically like a go route, but he sort of slants towards the left sideline. And then it's like a very wide V, if you will, an obtuse angle. Very, very slight. Sets him up going to the outside, then goes kind of uh, pointing towards the post. And he put it out there. And it was a nice throw. And he could have gotten a little bit farther in front of him. But he also made a beautiful play at the very end of the first half when the Steelers got a turnover. And he immediately threw a strike downtown into the middle of the field to get the Steelers on, like, within the 10-yard line. And then... (laughs) overthrows a drag route with nobody around the seat with nobody around the receiver i mean he blake bortles this thing the guy's coming on a drag and he just throws it three feet over the guy's head directly into the numbers of the chiefs defensive back and that's josh dobbs i mean if he's playing on a sunday you are getting an interception off of him he looked like he was playing having a catch that with pass the chiefs yeah, yeah. It, it's what's rough so i love seeing a battle there. out there the improved scrambling he just lobbed it up. Can you catch this? Okay, you can. But he did make the tackle 49 yards downfield. That's you know, that's what he brings to the table, man. I told you. You need to be able to run, you need to be able to tackle a little bit. So I, I give him credit. You know, he's he's improved. I don't know if you can take guys who throw tons of interceptions and, and, and really limit that. Obviously, you can you can bring it down a little bit, but I like seeing how aggressive he is. You know, because if that's the guy who has to come into the game, and, and at this point, I do think Rudolph is pulling ahead in that number two battle because he just does seem more comfortable. But if you had a guy like uh, Dobbs have to go into the game, I like the fact that you got a guy who is going to be aggressive, just like your starter, Ben Roethlisberger, and that's what your offense is designed to do. And maybe he can offer some things as far as running goes, but it's always a little bit chaotic when, when Dobbs is out there. But he's, he's competing and he's trying hard. Joe Dobe goes 6 for 11 for 95 yards, which brings us to Devlin Hodges. Four-string quarterback, continues to impress. A little scat back back there from this Sam would be, This would be depressing to let this guy go. Hodges is not an afterthought, man. He is hovering around the same level as Dobbs and Rudolph. The thing about Hodges is he is like a Nate Robinson He's like a Muggsy Bose of the NFL where this guy is just a natural quarterback. That guy has been calm since the first game, and he's a rookie, right, from Samford. That dude just knows how to play quarterback. He knows how to manipulate the pocket. He has a little bit more speed than a Mason Rudolph. And why I compare him to Muggsy Bowes or Nate Robinson is like, wow, imagine if that guy were a couple inches taller, like prototypical size for his professional position because he's already got the skills of a lot of the bigger guys. If he had a little bit more of this, the, the physical attributes, then he might – be able to make a dent, but he just keeps making beautiful throw after beautiful throw. And, and we're, we're spending a lot of time in the quarterbacks now and we'll probably have to move along, but they are really compelling right now. Uh, he had a gorgeous touchdown pass to Deontay Johnson on the aforementioned Jesse James, like touchdown that Deontay had and the rush. It was a bum rush. I don't know if it was a zero blitz, but they had everyone coming back off him or everyone coming into the backfield, try and get him. He identified it. 
quickly. He knew he had a one-on-one matchup with Deontay Johnson going up the left sideline, and he made that beautiful lob throw off of his back foot for the easy touchdown. And, and it's just he manipulates the pocket well. He doesn't have a huge arm, but the arm is 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 decent. It definitely looks like he has to try really hard to put the mustard on it, but he throws very catchable balls. He moves well and he knows how to play the quarterback position. And I don't know what they're going to do with this guy because he's showing very nicely. I mean, he definitely looks a lot better than Dobbs or Landry Jones did in their first few years. All right, let's move away from guys we hope won't even see the field until the 16th game of the right. season. Back to let's go to the running backs. I was really happy to see James Conner. He had six carries for 28 yards, an average of 4.7. He looked good. I mean, you don't see Benny Snell making those kind of those moves. And Benny Snell had the advantage of, of a good offensive line as well. But James Conner just finds extra yards. Like that one, I think he got hit two yards past the line of scrimmage, just turned like a backflip and went another three yards. The only, the only thing I'd say is the thing I mentioned at the top of the show where he bobbled that that pass, but you know it's a one-time thing. Hopefully that's not indicative of any continued yeah. uh, ham-handedness, but I thought he had a really good game. I just think when James Conner goes in the game, you see the difference between the physicality of a starting NFL running back and the backups. We'll talk about Samuels, Jalen Samuels, in a minute because he's looking great too, but James Conner is violent. When he gets the ball, he explodes. It is it is odd for us Steelers fans to see after watching Bell and you know his smooth style over the past few years. Because when James gets it, he is like a bull looking to hit somebody, twisting and course screwing for extra yards, and it is just very noticeable. Watch it next game if you guys get a chance to see. Just look how much faster he looks and more urgent. And uh, yeah, I thought that he looked good. I think James. I think Jalen Samuels. It's the classic thing. We see it every year with the Steelers running backs. With Bell, we saw it year one to year two. We saw it with James Conner. They lose weight. They get a lot faster. And Jalen Samuels is butter. He is so smooth. He he kind of built on that great game he had against the Patriots when they ran that toss play where they sort of, you know, usually when you run a toss play, you sort of pitch it out to the side of the running back. But with Samuels, they make it look like they're going to pitch it to the side. It's also the old Le'Veon Bell play but they kind of pitch it straight backwards and then he cuts it back across the formation. When we saw him do that against the Patriots, I was struck with his vision. He just, he sees the field very well and he makes these very economical cuts and he did that again. He, I did, I'll be the first one to say last year when they drafted him, I wasn't a huge fan of leaving that as the backup running back as a guy who wasn't a true running back, but he looks the part, and I'm trying to find a guy to compare him to with that smooth type of running style, and I can't think of someone off the top of my head, but he looks good too, and he can definitely take the physical pounding, and we know he can catch the ball. So in good hands with that guy. He had 30, was it 36 yards on that, that first drive where we scored the touchdown. I'm talking about that long run, and then he and then ended that uh, play with that 17-yard romp into the end zone, which looked more like a Kansas yeah. City – uh, oversight because there was nobody near him. They kind of walked in. He Filer led the way, yeah. hitting nothing but air as Samuels came around him and, and walked into the end zone. But I thought he looked great too. I am, yeah. I'm not worried about it, but I mean, we have Benny Snell getting. Uh, he had two and a half, two average two point two yards last game. He's got two point three this time. I don't know. I mean, just not there yet. Seven seven carries yeah. for sixteen yards. I'll say that I'm not. I'm not worried about him. And again, I'm not looking at really any of these stats unless you get something eye-popping like what Washington's had. But it's just what I said. When you see Connor, you see an NFL running back with the speed. Benny Snell is is plodding. He, he is slow. He's going to have to adjust to NFL life. Um, and I'm not worried about that because I, we've seen so many running backs do it. All these Pittsburgh running backs do it. He is a natural runner. The positive I'll take is I thought he was much better this week because he converted a fourth and one, he, an amazing fourth and one, where he got stood up in the backfield and spun out of it and still got the first down. He converted a third and two, I think another third and one, and he did his job on converting those low yardage situations where, you know, your speed and athleticism aren't going to be a big part of it, but your ability to contort and use power to get the first downs, I'll, I'll take that as a positive. But I feel good about the two guys above him and, and good for him for capitalizing on, on, on the second chance this week. But, yeah, he, he doesn't look horribly explosive at this point. But I'll give him some time. And, and you know who we feel 
All right, so who who we really feel good about is Jay Wash, four receptions, 78 yards. You saw that. You talked about that long of 40 from Dobbs early in the game, or um, I guess midway through the second quarter. So he looks spectacular. Washington had that beautiful catch on the sideline from, from uh, George Mason, <laughs> Rudolph Mason. Rudolph Mason. For that, on, that, on that touchdown drive. Yeah, I thought Mason, I thought Mason, Mason put it where it needed to be, but, I mean, Washington had to go up for that ball right on the sideline. It was a great catch. I'm telling you, the th- it, it, it looks a little bit different this year. We have to be cough- cautious with the optimism for Washington because he was pretty spectacular last year in the preseason. But I'm telling you, it is different this year. I highlighted this last week on the podcast. I reiterated it with by retweeting Brian Baldinger's uh, – Baldinger, Baldinger, Baldy, Baldy's breakdowns. On Twitter, I retweeted his little breakdown of James Washington on Twitter this past week because you can see the difference in the suddenness and the speed and there's more athleticism this year. The release is – the releases are the biggest thing I see from him. He's got this subtlety and these start stops and this nice release game. You know, credit to Daryl Drake. Rest in peace, my man. He's he's doing it again. He's developing these receivers. But the the catches we're seeing from Washington, not only is he getting open, he's getting great releases, but we're seeing all kinds of things. Catches in the middle short range of the field, in the deep sideline parts of the field, in the deep middle, over the middle with people all around him, going up to catch it. And that one on the sideline, like you're saying – it's beautiful. He leaped way far, way up into the air, and he just has hands of 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 sticky steel. I was going to ha- say hands of steel, but I guess the ball would bounce right off that. But they're like a bear trap. When the ball gets there, he snatches that thing, and it stops moving immediately. And it is just incredibly encouraging to see what he's doing. And I'm going to be honest with you. If I'm Dante Moncrief, I'm worried. I, I don't necessarily think that there's going to be a formal number two receiver or, or whatever. You know, there's a lot of different options on the Steelers after Juju um, to get the ball. But if Washington keeps this up, and especially when we see him with Ben for the first time next week, he's going to be a big part of these game plans. And it, it's hard for me to not be incredibly excited about the way this guy looks because it's just a more well-rounded polished game it does remind me a little bit of juju and the way we compared him saying like we've seen great receivers with mike wallace i maintain even sammy Coates had a great three-week stretch there despite the drops and and wallace but all these guys were one-trick ponies who in my opinion ben roethlisberger turned into superstars but juju in Washington now, they're well-rounded, and they can do a little bit of everything. And if this guy can keep this up, man, NFL better be scared and angry that the wide receiver factory strikes again. We were talking before the podcast, and I, I stand corrected. I, I was kind of down on Deontay Johnson, mainly because I was watching special teams and the punt, you know, his punt rece- right. catches. But I did go back. He had three receptions for 46 yards and man, they they were some nice receptions, especially that touchdown reception where he had to crawl into the into the middle of the well, not in the middle, but that diving catch in the end zone was awesome. He had two touchdowns. If the NFL weren't such idiots, that is, we should be terrified, yeah. terrified, honestly, about this pass interference situation. I, there's no need to go back into it, but I. It's unbelievable how often they bumble things. And, and this isn't just armchair quarterbacking with the NFL. They, they've done them with Ray Rice. They've done them with Tyree Kill. You know that they're messing up while they're messing up. They, they did it with Tom Brady in Deflategate, as much as some of you at home don't want to hear it. They never proved that he took air out of the balls. They never proved that. And, and on top of that, they gave him four games, and they don't give Tyree Kill a single game for we have phone evidence of him threatening his girlfriend. They th- and last year, Jimmy Smith threatened his girlfriend. No, no convictions or anything like that. And they give that guy four games. So anyways, this is an armchair quarterbacking. It's just stunning how, how terrible the NFL office can be. And they have overreacted so dramatically to the horrible call that lost the game for the Saints in the NFC Championship. I understand that. But what you're doing right now is you are creating a ton more of those situations because – that was not anywhere even in the universe of offensive pass interference for Deontay Johnson. So to me, he had two touchdowns, both on fade routes on the left side of the field, and both are showing you, hey, everyone wants to say, oh, this guy, he's, 
you know, 5'10", jitterbug, punt returner guy. What a great slot receiver option for the Steelers. He's not a slot receiver. He's an outside boundary receiver. I'm sure he can do some stuff from the slot, but they drafted him to play on the outside. And what he showed us last night after not having played for a long time, I mean, this guy hasn't even gotten reps, he he can manipulate that boundary. His releases are a thing of beauty, are a thing of beauty, and then he has that talent that these outside guys have for setting up the corners. And when the quarterbacks make the throw, and Hodges made a great throw, and Dobbs made a great throw too, he doesn't put his hands up until the last second because you know when the cornerback is facing you and you're running those go routes down the sideline. Part of the way you catch those is by bringing your hands up at the last moment and not letting your eyes bulge up when the when the ball gets there because. You, there's an art to not letting the corner know the ball is there so you can go around him and make those catches. And I was incredibly encouraged. I, I agree with you. The punt returns, you know, whatever, didn't have much of an opportunity, honestly. But, man, even if you just take those two catches, that is very encouraging. He looked like a little artist out there. You know, what was discouraging for me was Xavier Grimble. Xavier had a uh, – dropped a wide-open pass on – one of those pl- the plays first that drive um, or something. Yeah, it was it was early. Yeah, first drive, wide open, beautiful pass. He just throw drops it by him. Yeah, beautiful throw. But then again, on the um, on the drive where we scored the first touchdown with Mason Rudolph, he had a really nice grab in the middle of the field. I mean, Mason Rudolph put yeah. it in a very small window, but Grimble did catch it. Man, that drives me crazy. Just his inconsistency. Yeah. I mean, dropping the ball, there was nobody on him. No, and it was a beautiful play by Mason Rudolph manipulating the pocket. I think it was third down, right? Or it was an early down, whatever it was. It was a great job by Rudolph, and there was nobody around him. And that's Xavier Grimble. And you and I have talked about this a little bit over the offseason is he's going to be that inconsistent guy. He's going to be the guy that somehow fumbles the ball going into the end zone. He's kind of a fan favorite because a couple years ago he made like three catches for three touchdowns and they were all kind of crucial in the season. You see the athleticism of this guy and he looks like one of those top tier move tight ends as they call him. A move tight end being like a a primarily receiving tight end and he looks like a Greek god with his shirt off and when he makes those catches it looks like a receiver. He's very fluid but he drops the ball too and all we can hope is that he keeps improving as a blocker because that's kind of first and foremost what we need him to do and hopefully he can cut out some of the drops but you know you and I said this before the Steelers were used to Heath Miller. No big plays but never drop the ball and just constant 10 yard catches constant third yard uh, third down conversions just the model of consistency and reliability at, at a very high level maybe we don't have that anymore but maybe you got guys who yeah he's going to drop one out of every five but he's also going to make some 30 yard catches and and big explosive plays so hopefully that's what we see from him and just bring the consistency up well just to wrap up the offense then i was just thinking about the offensive line Steelers quarterbacks were sacked only once. They were hit four times. I thought the interesting battle, if not for uh, its actual physicality, was a core of four versus Okafor. Okafor did get around one time for a sack and uh, a tackle for a loss. So a core of four still has a little bit of progress to make in that regard. Not quite as bad as last week, but I thought quarterbacks were well protected during the game. Agreed. I'm, I'm with you. Nothing crazy to say there. So looking on the other side of the ball, again, um, I was I thought that was kind of a rusty start. Kansas City running backs were seeming to move, maybe not at will, but were making a lot of progress early on in the game. And then things started to tie up. You know what? This is the heartbreaker. Dirty Red, the tackling machine. It's just that he's missing. Actually, he has about 1.5 seconds on his 40 too much. Because that's where he gets exposed. But, man, he led – he once again led all tacklers with uh, seven tackles but just couldn't keep up on those out routes by the He's in tight – I guess it was tight end catcher or um, slot receiver. He is another Muggsy Bose. He's another – Devlin Hodges, if only he was just a little bit more physically gifted, he would be Luke Keekley. He is so fundamentally sound. Like you said, when he comes through and makes a tackle, it's him one-on-one with the running back in the hole. He tackles the guy, and they go down right away. It's a, it's an Under Armour commercial of a tackle, or it's like a youth football instructional version. He lowers his shoulders. He gets low. He wraps up around the legs, and the guy goes down and doesn't make extra yardage. But he's just so slow that you got to look at Ulysses S. Grant – 
Ulysses Gilbert and see, hey, man, this is where you have an opening because Ulysses um, Gilbert, who was obviously, you know, we didn't see the, you know, last week was his big game. But anyways, that's where there's kind of an opening. So say that about Dirty Red. Yeah, for sure. It's tough. I would like to say when we're keep talking about the inside linebackers here, Mark Barron had a, a nice couple snaps in coverage where he was running with a, I don't remember if it was a tight end or a running back on one of Mahomes' throws, and he stuck with them. Um, stride for stride. Again, that's a nice change of pace. The Steelers linebackers are way faster than they've been uh, in a long time because obviously you had Shazier in there uh, for a while, but around Shazier was always Timmons or Vince Williams, and Fort had some speed, uh, of course. But yeah, Barron looked decent. I'll say just a quick thing on the defensive line. Cam Hayward for a couple snaps looked like Cam Hayward, and he one of Bud Dupree's sacks uh, I think was really a result of Cam Hayward absolutely demolishing the pocket single-handedly and, and flushing, what's his name, Chad Henney, into Bud Dupree. I'll also say this. When we go back to the guys at Denny's, those Kansas City announcers, they were talking when Kansas City was on offense saying, well, you know, the Steelers are playing their whole starting offensive line tonight. So the Kansas City Chiefs are doing the same thing. The, the Steelers were not playing their whole offensive line. You get paid to do this. That's the part that annoys me. We don't get paid. You get paid to do this. You get paid a hilarious sum of money to do this. That's why I'm annoyed. We are over here eating Cheetos, doing this thing for no money. Just kidding. We're, we're paid pretty handsomely for this. Or am I? Either way, if we make a mistake, okay, fine. But we don't, damn it. You're getting money. The information is freely out there. Second off, Marquise Pouncey and David Castro, the Steelers offensive linemen, they're famous. It's not some randos. You should be able to see if they're out there or not. But even if not, the information is freely available for you to take the time that you have been graciously afforded by your cheesecake job to go figure out if the linemen are playing. Well, the Steelers are playing their whole offensive line. No, they're not. And I'm just piling on here. But it's, it's just, again, it goes to that homerism thing, which is just so annoying. So they, I guess it was the Chiefs starting offensive line. You don't have anyone famous or good except for James Harrison's old friend, Eric Fisher, the human uh, punching bag. Uh, and Cam Hayward was blowing up, them up with with vigor, if you will. Look, you, you, uh, you asked about Bud. I, I actually give him the game ball on defense. I went back and looked at his sacks. His first his first sack in the first quarter, he pushed through two guys. Now I had to say one of the guys sort of had to move off to take uh, I forget who was coming in from the the side, but he did push through right. two guys in the second quarter. That tackle was he pushed a guy down and, and just got around the tackle. So I didn't think these were one of those things where mm-hmm. he just out athleticized uh, offensive like linemen. It. I think he. he Maybe not quite a bull rush, but I think he did a great job. He also had that pass knocked down. And if I am not mistaken, and I'll just look it up while I'm sitting here, he had several quarterback hits. So I thought he had a great game. It was very positive for me to see him ascending that way. Put him in bubble wrap. He is injured every year, and I think that's one of the biggest things that's held him back. I don't need to see anything else. Put him in bubble wrap. He did play well. I'm starting to think. So we always talk about this with Bud, just saying, hey, TJ Watt looks like a guy who can occupy a Lamar Woodley role or a James Harrison role where it's like, we're going to put you one-on-one with the best tackles in the NFL and you're going to beat them and you're going to beat the running back and you're going to go sack the quarterback. Bud, he's not that kind of artist, but I do think that he's more of a tool than people realize. And I think that the Steelers' defensive line, along with the edge rushers, it could have a unique thing where they sort of work a little bit more in conjunction, like an offensive line, rather than the defensive line, you know, the interior guys, they stunt and they do their things together. And then you just leave your guys on the outside, like Woodley and Harrison, just let them go to work. It might be, I see them use Bud Dupree on so many twists, so many stunts where he doesn't just rush around the tackle. You know, he might loop inside of the tackle and Cam Hayward will loop to the outside or Cam will push his guy into Bud's guy and, and Bud Dupree will loop around on the inside. And he's always been fantastic in that capacity. Most of his sacks come from that. And, hey, maybe you, you're, you know, you're paying him. I mean, you have to pay him because of the fifth-year option. We know they didn't sign him on purpose for $9 million. But you're paying him like a guy who just beats guys around the edge. But you, at this point, might have um, developed a roster in that front seven 
where they can kind of work in conjunction like that. And I think Bud Dupree's a great weapon when you're using him on stunts and blitzes and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. I agree. He played pretty well. And I think that uh, Tazar Skipper, also he's going to need, need to step out with Ola Adenye. We, oh, we didn't talk about that yet. Ola Adenye being out for at least four to six weeks. By the way, he has a torn meniscus, but he's not even on crutches. So that looks good. He was already walking. So good news for Ola. Sad news for Steelers Nation. But Skipper acquitted himself well. Uh, Bud looks good. Obviously, we have some faith in TJ Watt, who practiced finally this week and pretty much immediately picked Ben off on the one-yard line and ran it back for a touchdown. So that's a good sign for him. And, yeah, the edge rushers are looking uh, solid so far, and we already hit on the inside linebackers, so I guess we can move to the safeties. Well, I was thinking about the silver bullet because Mike Hilton sort of picked up where he left off last year. That that fumbled snap by Henny. I don't know. It's bad snap, but Henny didn't manage it. Yeah. But Hilton was on top of him, sacked him. That obviously dislodged the ball, and the Steelers picked up the ball. And I forget who picked up the fumble, but anyway, I thought Mike Hilton was all over, all over the field, and uh, feel very solid about having him in the secondary this year. Yeah, well, it's so. I, I almost get a little bit nervous because sometimes I think they abuse the Mike Hilton blitz. He constantly blitzes, and if I'm Tom Brady or a Drew Brees or Russell Wilson or these guys that were playing or, you know, Kyle Shanahan in week three. If I'm noticing how often Mike Kilton blitzes, I'm pretty sure Kyle Shanahan is going to notice how often he blitzes. And he's not only going to take advantage of that, he's going to score a touchdown on that because that's manipulatable. If you're predictable, you're dead against guys like that. So it makes me a little bit nervous how often they use it. And they did get abused against Brees and Brady. Um, with Hilton blitzing last year, actually, especially Breeze. They, Hilton didn't even get anywhere near him, and they threw right into his zone every time. But Hilton, they're trying to use him a little bit more at safety. Is Hilton the hardest hitter on the team? Hilton's 5'5", but he really is the silver bullet. And he he was so good for the Steelers, and we've all been so confused why last year he got in the doghouse. We thought he was the best secondary member besides Joe Hayden and I don't know maybe they're they might try him a little bit more at safety I like that play him at safety in the preseason get him some reps because we do have concerns about the depth behind Davis and Edmonds and you know who knows maybe you work your way into a situation where I don't know he play you get a lot of these talented secondary guys in the field at the same time Uh, I'll say I, I agree with you Hilton was good and Terrell Edmonds had a beautiful forced fumble when uh, the running back was getting taken down in the first quarter and he ran up behind him and while the running back was falling, he had the presence of mind, Terrell Edmonds did, and the just athletic fortitude to punch the ball out. And we need more of that. The old Steelers teams did that. The Ravens do that. The great Seahawks defenses do that. When you're really good at defense, <laughs> you're getting to your spot on time. You're You have like extra bandwidth mentally to try and not only tackle the guy we know we're going to tackle the guy we're getting there that's for sure but when we get there we're going to try and take the ball from him and we know the Steelers need more takeaways this year so even if I'm just going to talk about one play that was very nice for him and last week he had a deflection in the end zone so it's not Troy Polamalu back there but it's definitely encouraging he's around the ball more than he was last year so there were three fumbles the Steelers picked up. And you know who else looked really good? Quietly, Artie Burns. Artie Burns forced one of those fumbles. You don't. You didn't hear his name getting picked out a whole lot because I, I thought he was playing really solidly. And maybe he's uh, – I'm hopeful that he picked up his game and he's a solid second stringer for the year. I'll be the first to say – I mean, I told you on the podcast he was going to be cut. And I really thought that they were going to cut bait with him, especially picking up Justin Lane and seeing like they're trying to turn the corner, use more Cameron Sutton. They picked up Steven Nelson. They already have Mike Hilton. Obviously, Hayden's there and just seemed like he was the low man on the totem pole. But it really looks like they're giving him another chance. And that's what you get when you're a first rounder. You kind of get nine lives as opposed to these undrafted guys or late round guys who get one or two chances and then you're going to move on. But Artie's getting another chance and Hey, he's played pretty decently in the preseason. We've seen this before, and uh, I'm holding my horses, but I'll give credit where credit's due. If he can turn to be a good player, you know, no one's going to be happier than me. Everybody loves Artie. He's a a great guy in a terrible situation with his family. Um, You know, dad's in prison, mom died supporting his brothers and all that. So everyone always roots for Artie. I mean, he was as bad as you could be. He was Cortez Allen bad last year, Antoine Blake bad. But uh, 
yeah, I don't know. He's he's shown some flashes. We know he has the physical talent. So good to see him mixing it up in there. Moving back to Mike Hilton, how much do you want to bet that all this his his uh, blitzing is actually just setting up everybody for the regular season? Oh, I th- I actually have some inside info on this, and I'm going to use it, and I'm going to use it at mybookie.ag. And you guys, before I read the commercial here, here's here's the copy. That we have been given here. And I, at first when I saw this copy, I didn't know if they were trolling us. And then I kind of realized, oh, this is just what they're putting out for the whole NFL. You know, all the different NFL shows. It starts with, it's a new season. Antonio Brown is on the Raiders. F you, Steelers fans. Le'Veon Bell is with the Jets. Ha ha, screw you, Steelers. Odell Beckham is in Cleveland. Ha ha, you like that, Steelers? Are you kidding me? Are you, tr- this, so- like, hey, Hey, everybody, it's time to bet. Don't you love Tom Brady? All right, go Flyers. This is crap. That's the one time you're going to hear me read the copy like that. So we're going to say it's a new season and there's a new superstar receiver in Pittsburgh and his name is George Washington, James Washington. And Ulysses S. Grant. That's right. And we have Ulysses S. Grant. The presidents are coming in force to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and the Steelers are going to win the Super Bowl. So here we go. One thing that hasn't changed when you're talking about teams is where I'm putting my money down on all of these games. My bookie is the place to bet on football every weekend. My bookie has better bonuses and more prop bets than any other sports book, period. This year, they're hosting the first online handicapping super contest. Super contest. First place is guaranteed to win at least $100,000. And it only costs a hundred bucks to enter. All you got to do is pick five NFL games against the spread every week to climb the leaderboard and score your share of the huge cash prize pool. So I would recommend this thing to anybody. If you got a hundred extra bucks, I'll take a hundred thousand. I'll take my chances on betting on the Steelers religiously every single week and adding more stress to the game on top of the emotional stress I already put on myself for no reason whatsoever. But listen. They got live in-game betting. They got props. They got all kinds of stuff. I'm sure the next Antonio Brown tantrum can be bet on because, oh, wait, there was another one this week. Great. We'll get into that later. So up to $1,000 in first deposit bonus. Uh, You can double your first deposit on your first bet there. If you use the promo code SNAP, that's S-N-A-P, to activate the offer, You'll be in business. Visit MyBookie online today. That's M-Y-B... You know how to spell it. It's MyBookie. I-E. Bookie is with an I-E, everybody. M-Y-B-O-O-K-I-E. And don't forget to use the promo code SNAP when creating your account to claim the bonus. That's a new promo code. Remember, guys, it's not Outpost. It's SNAP. Bet, win, get paid. Very succinct. I like that. So we mentioned A-B. For those of you who don't hate him... Look, it sounds like he's walking around. It's like the bottom that his, his 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 yeah. I still do. I just feel really bad about the whole thing. But his feet seem to have healed don't. enough for him to walk around. But the saga of the helmet continues. It's as if this guy uses this, uses helmet in Pee Wee football and won't let go of it. It's like a blanket for blankie. So we got to give a lot of credit to Mike Florio and Pro Football Talk because they him and his listeners sort of. I wouldn't say unintentionally, but they found a loophole that the NFL and Antonio Brown didn't even realize, which is, hey, Antonio Brown is addicted to the shut air advantage helmet. That's the particular kind of helmet he's been wearing for 10 years ever since he got in the NFL. But his was made over 10 years ago, so the NFL will not let you wear a helmet that is over 10 years old. In addition to that, if your helmet is younger than 10 years old, it still has to pass an inspection. So the NFL has a list of banned helmets and a list of helmets that are legal and okay to use. The air shut advantage is not on either one of those lists. So it's the only reason why AB couldn't wear it is because it was too old. So one of the pro football talk listeners basically thought, hey, if Antonio Brown can find an air shut, a shut air advantage helmet, that is younger than 10 years. Could he repaint it? Maybe not himself this time. And, and get it certified by the NFL to use. 
Well, turns out that's exactly what they did. Brown put out the call on social media. They were able to secure and uh, shut air advantage, get it uh, looked at by the NFL, and lo and behold, it failed the safety inspection. So he still has to wear the new helmet at the end of the day and promptly goes onto Twitter, and I am absolutely not going to repeat what he said. You can find it yourself, but uh, accuses the NFL of being racist for not letting him use the new helmet. And I, you know, I don't want to touch any of that stuff with the ten foot pole, but I think we can all agree the NFL does um, a lot of things to really take advantage of players and, and not pay them what they're worth and use them up before you know for cheap before their value their value gets to a point where they can make money off of it. You know, you're talking about running backs get paid a, a very small amount of money in their first few years in the league, which are their most productive years, and then you can toss them aside. Whatever. We're definitely saying there's big problems with with uh, rights for players there, but calling the NFL racist because they're making you wear a, a safe helmet. Uh, this guy really does not know any limits. He doesn't have them. He's crazy. Yeah. I'd like to and know. Maybe so, the Steelers were right. Yeah, <laughs> getting, getting out of there. Landry Jones becomes the first quarterback Can't in the help. new XFL. Glad to see Landry land somewhere. No pun intended. I have, I have high hopes. That was a nice pun, actually. I have high hopes for the second Steeler XFL championship leading team quarterback. Landry needs to follow in the footsteps of Tommy Maddox, the only quarterback ever. He has won 100% of the XFL championships. Tommy Maddox was the GOAT, and he actually did pretty well for the Steelmen. And Landry's got to go there next. Hey, I like this move for Landry. I, I think this is good for him. And I went back and forth a little bit with our buddy Pittsburgh Sport on, uh, you know, at Pittsburgh Sport, uh, Steelers Takeaways on Twitter. He's the guy who does all the interviews with Steelers players. And he did an interview with Landry Jones. And Steelers Takeaways tweeted out Landry Jones today, quote, it's just you put in all the effort during the week but there's no reward on Sundays. You want to win and be successful, but when you put in that effort, you want that reward. You want to play. It can be frustrating, barely getting the chance to play. And I tweeted back at him. I, I love this tweet. I love this candid interview from Landry Jones because I said it, it was refreshing to hear a backup speak honestly about the dynamic of not getting playing time. I mean, you're all, he was a stud in college. I mean, he was a little up and down, but overall he was a stud and you're used to being the man your whole life. How could you be the backup? You have to work. You have to put in all this grind for football all week long and you never get to play. You don't get any praise. You don't get the fun of playing in a real game. And the NFL is a real grind. So I added, I'm sure the backups, they want their team to win. You know, you're t- you get close to these guys. You want your squad to win, of course. But they do have to play the, quote, I'm a good soldier political game so that they don't ruffle any feathers or ruin the reputation because this is their livelihood and they need to get picked up by other teams, you know. And I'm not talking about like a Kyler Murray or a – well, not Kyler Murray, like a Baker Mayfield or someone who's like a first round pick and they're sitting behind the starter and they're, you know, saying, I got to support the starter. You know, those guys are going to play eventually. But like someone like Chase Daniels or Bobblehead Chad Henney or Landry Jones, I always wonder what the mindset is of a veteran for that long. And you know what? I think it was a good move for Landry. Go play. I mean, probably get some eyes on you and and you get a chance to play in some games and, and see what you got. And, uh, I think we have a little bit more of a reason to watch the XFL now. So I like it from that angle. Well, look, the NFL is full of athletic valedictorians and more than half of them don't get significant playing time. There are a lot of guys trying to reconcile being resigned to basically being on happy, being on a roster and getting a check. And then, and these are, are guys who are used to playing time accolades and the rest of it. I wonder how these guys view themselves. These second string quarterbacks, do they view themselves as, I'm a second string quarterback after a certain number of years, like Charlie Batch, how did he view himself? Did he ever think, no, I really could, I really could be starting in front of whomever he's behind at the time. Like what did, here's a good question for you. Great question. Blake Bortles, does he view himself as a high quality starting NFL quarterback? And of course he was a starting quarterback, but were his travails, his his own doing, or would he attribute that to the supporting cast? Not that he whatever so that, he's, he's smart enough not to say something out loud, but I just wonder what right. goes through his head. Right. What what keeps you playing football besides the fact that like, hey, this is a great 
way, there's a really great way to make money <laughs> at the moment. I, that's an awesome question because you wonder with someone like Blake Bortles who, listen, Blake Blake Bortles, he's a cool dude. He is he's like one of those average bro kind of guys. He seems really down to earth. He's always on with the barstool sports guys. You know, just kind of, he'll call in. You don't see quarterbacks calling into podcasts and stuff. And he's down to earth. So from that standpoint, I gotta think he has a dose of realism and he know where he stands on the totem pole. He's a smart guy. He's not delusional, and he sees what some of these other guys do. Uh, at the same time, you know, you got to feel bad for the guy because the media knows that he was a subpar quarterback over there in Jacksonville for a long time. So he's hearing it from all sides. But, yeah, you just wonder what's going through his head. Does he think like, you know, OK, well, I have had a couple of really great games and he had a, a good game here and there. I led my team to an AFC championship and that there's some value in that. And maybe my like. I haven't peaked yet. Like I've seen myself have great games. So that's what I can do. And I just need to be more consistent you know, like Cordell Stewart's issue or whatever back in the day. Is that what he thinks? Like, no, I have a peak. I just haven't reached it. Or does he really know that like, yeah, I'm not that great. Good thing I still have a job. I I don't know what goes through a guy's head like that. I know he did say in the offseason that he does want to eventually be a starter again. So you're almost encouraged by something like that. Like you almost root for a guy who's been, you know, slandered in the media for, you know, putting out some pretty embarrassing – performances out there but uh, i'm with you you know athletes professional athletes they have to be borderline delusional to have the confidence to keep going out there and perform and get criticized by millions of people even if you're like a tom brady i must i said tom brady's too name too many times i said tom brady too many times in this podcast even if you're aaron Rodgers and you have one bad game the media will rain down fire on you despite your hall of fame career well imagine if you're Bortles and you have lots of bad games you gotta somehow steal yourself to get back out there and have the confidence to do what you need to do but I have no idea what a mindset is for a guy like that rather than like a late career Charlie who probably really knows what's up like the Josh McCowns the old veterans they know I'm a backup and I'm cool with that and I'm gonna teach these guys and I bring value to organizations and I make good money and there's a good chance that I'm gonna go in there and when I go in there I'm gonna Fitzpatrick it because I have nothing to lose and I'm gonna chuck it deep did you see Josh McCowan just got re-signed after two months of retirement? I did. I know. I'm ready for him to be in the booth because he's going to be – he's he's so personable. He's a good guy, and I'd like to see him up there. He's going to resume announcing – or well, start that announcing career next year, but he's the man. you got to love McCown. He He's, I mean, 64 years old and playing in the NFL – when you have a jaw like that, I mean, you you could probably play to your 80s, but just like, he is such a good guy. And uh, what a uh, – just a very smart pickup by the Philadelphia Eagles. And the irony is they actually upgraded at their backup spot uh, over Sudfeld and those different guys that they had running around back there behind Carson Wentz who hasn't made it through a full NFL season. They got one of the best backup quarterbacks in the whole league. So upgrade for them, and and I think that's a good space for uh, for McCown to land because they're, they're pretty – close-knit team good coaching it's the george blanda of the 21st century anyway nice i want to thank everybody for listening check us out on instagram at steelers outpost hit us up on twitter at steelers outpost leave us a note on the website steelersoutpost.com or shoot us an email at steelersoutpost at gmail.com until next week thanks for listening go steelers okay bye-bye As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. 
There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Whoa, sweet man cave. Thanks. Serious upgrade. How'd you pay for all this? I got a home equity line of credit from Figure. I was approved in five minutes and had funding in five days. Wow, that fast and easy? Yep, the application is 100% online, plus no out-of-pocket costs. Just fast access to the cash you need. How do I get started? Go to figure.com and get that serious upgrade. Figure Lending LLC, DBA Figure, Equal Opportunity Lender, NMLS 1717824. Terms and conditions apply. Visit figure.com for more information. For licensing information, go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org.